Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Took a week off last week, um, but we're back. And this is the final, the final session of our series as we've been following the people of Israel in the Old Testament as God has brought them up out of Egypt and um, into the wilderness, into the desert, and they've been wandering, um, they've been wandering through the wilderness. And, and what, what we see in the story is that the wandering was always about the attainment of the promised land. And that's where we're going today, right? And so we see them come up out of Egypt. Today, we're getting to the promised land. Somebody ought to say hallelujah, but we're getting there. That's where we're going today. And, and we'll see that the wandering story, the wandering journey, the story of God's people was always about attaining the promised land. It was always about God's people living by faith and not by sight or their own strength. And I have the basic principle here on the screen, the basic principle of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God made with Moses and we see playing out throughout the history of God's people in the Old Testament. And it's this, that obedience to the commandments of the Lord brings blessing and God's favor and disobedience brings discipline and God's judgment. There is a consequence for obedience, and there's a consequence for disobedience because God is just. And so this is the basic principle of the Mosaic Covenant that we see going, this tension back and forth uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Torah, the journey of God's people uh, through the wilderness to the land that was promised. The promise was given in Genesis uh, chapter 12, and I'm going to speak fast here at the beginning because i got to get us caught up uh, to where we're going uh, today. And so keep up with me here as I, as I go quickly through this journey. Genesis 12, uh, we're going way back. This is back to Abraham, the patriarch of the faith of God's people. And, and Abram was traveling through the land, and, and God appeared to him and said, Listen, listen, Abram, I'm going to give you uh, this land. I'm going to give this land that you're on now uh, to your offspring as an inheritance. And so Abraham builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He says, I'm going to give you this land. This is Genesis chapter 12. And I do want to make note, fun fact here, nowhere in Scripture is the land called the promised land. And some of you, some of you are shocked, but nowhere in Scripture is the land actually called the promised land. That's a term that we as Christians, that we've given to the land that was promised to Abraham and his offspring. The New Testament uh, comes very close to using that expression when the writer of Hebrews refers to it as the land of promise. But the phrase, the promised land, is not found in the text. Not necessarily, you didn't need that information, but there you go. Um, the word land um, is found many times in the book of Joshua, which is where we're going to go today. And we'll see that if you start in Genesis and move to Joshua, you're going to see God reiterate, restate, remind his people that he has promised them a land and that he will remain true to his promises. Throughout Genesis, throughout Exodus, throughout Leviticus, throughout Numbers, uh, throughout Deuteronomy, as Moses sort of uh, gives a summation of his ministry with the people of God, God reaffirms his promise that he will lead them to a land of rest 
and victory and plenty and overflowing life. Time and time again, God says, listen, I will be faithful to my word. And so the people are promised their destiny in God after 400, after, after hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. They've been removed from their land. They've been enslaved in bondage in Egypt. And God brings uh, Moses, who was raised in Egypt. He flees um, into the desert. God appears to him and says, Moses, I want you to go back into Egypt, and I want you to bring my people up out of the land, and I'm going to take them into the land of promise, the land of rest that I promised to their ancestors. And he says this, he says this in Exodus 3, he says, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I've promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites, right? And a land flowing with milk and honey. I know you've been in bondage. I know you've been in slavery. But if I have not forgotten you, my promise is still true, and I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. Drastically different than what they've experienced for hundreds of years. And so Moses goes and he stands before Pharaoh and, and he performs many wondrous signs. Uh, and then finally Pharaoh says, take your people and leave. And so God, God's people prepare and they, they leave Egypt and they're traveling. Uh, uh, millions of people now, they've been there for hundreds of years. They get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh decides he's changed his mind. He's coming after them. So Pharaoh's army pursues them. This is the journey we've been on with the people of God. Pharaoh's army pursues them. They got the Red Sea here. God says, just, just trust me. Trust me, you're going to see my salvation. Uh, you can trust me even when it seems that there is no way. I can make a way. And he parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites cross the sea on dry ground. They cross the sea on dry ground. The Egyptian army pursues them, and God closes the waters on the army, fighting for his people, protecting his people keeping his promise. And so the people celebrate and they begin their journey into the wilderness as they make their way to this land that God has promised. But very quickly, we see that the people forgot what God did, that he miraculously brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground and they begin to complain. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're in the desert. That They begin to complain because they still got Egypt in their heart. They're still looking backwards at what they had. They know that life was miserable, but it was comfortable. They knew what to expect. They didn't have to trust uh, something that was unseen, and so they begin to complain against God. But God is merciful, and Moses is a man um, who stands in the presence of God, and so God begins to provide all they need. He provides provision of water. He provides the provision of food from heaven. They don't even have to work for it. He just provides it for them. So God, God says, you, you can trust me to provide. And so he brings them to this place called Mount Sinai. And he, he invites Moses up on the mountain. And God gives them uh, the commandments, the Ten Commandments. This is where we were two weeks ago. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Uh, but it was more than just Ten Commandments, just some do's and don'ts about what it means to follow and love God and to love others. It was a covenant. He was reinstating his covenant that he had made with Abraham. He was now making it with this people and saying, listen, I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. Only follow me and follow my ways. Trust me and I will go before you and lead you into a land of rest and a land of peace and a land of victory. Only trust in my ways and follow after me. And, and Moses comes down from the mountain with the commandments and the people have built an idol and they're worshiping this golden image. And Moses smashes the tablets and God is, God is furious 
that his people who he has miraculously saved are now worshiping an idol. They're worshiping something that they can see, uh, something that they've made with their own hands. And God says, Moses, I'm going to destroy the people. I'm going to build a new nation through you. See, God is, God is faithful to his promise all the way to the point where he said, I'm going to wipe them out, but I will raise a nation through you, Moses, and I'll take them into the promised land. And Moses says, no, listen, Lord, you're merciful. Uh, remember what you've done to deliver your people from bondage. Don't wipe them out in the desert. And God relents, and he says, all right, I'll forgive them. And God writes the commandments again on a stone tablet, and, and Moses takes them down and calls the people to obey the Lord, to follow in his ways. And we see the people time after time uh, continuing to grumble against God, and he mercifully provides what they need, although this grumbling is beginning to get to the Lord, and his patience is wearing thin. But finally, a year and a half after journeying through the wilderness, they get to the edge of the promised land, right? So they get to the edge of the promised land, and as many would have done in these days, you send spies into the land, right? You send, you send someone to check out the land to see what it looks like. And so, so Moses selects 12 men, uh, one for each tribe of Israel, and he sends them into this land. And they're there for 40 days. After 40 days, they return, and this is their initial report. Yes, they, they brought back the fruit from the land. They say, listen, God's, God's word is true. He, 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 he's leading us there. This land is, is full of good food and produce. It's, it is flowing with milk and honey. Look at this stuff that we found. It is abundantly good. But then they say, but we can't, we can't, we can't possess the land the people there they're huge to them we look like grasshoppers and in our own eyes we look like grasshoppers the people are huge the cities are fortified forget about it God's led them through the Red Sea miraculously he's brought them to this place and provided everything that they need and they said forget about this this is too hard and so the, the spies are intimidated with the exception of two of them, Caleb and Joshua. And, and in their intimidation, in their fear, they reject the promise and God responds with a curse. And so in Numbers 14, the Lord replies as he responds to their rejection and, and, and Moses then plead with the people, do not rebel, trust the Lord, do not have unbelief, trust the Lord, he's good, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And the people say, no. No, we should have stayed in Egypt God's brought us out here. We're just going to die in this desert. What has God done to us? What has God done to us? And the Lord says, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to destroy these people. But I will stay true to my covenant because I, I'm a God of my word. I, I stay true to my word. I'll raise up a nation through you, Moses. And Moses says, no, Lord. No, listen. Listen, do not relent. Be merciful. You are, you are a, a, a patient God. Have mercy on your people as you have done since we've left Egypt. And this is what God says in Numbers 14, in verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you've asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of them who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. So right here in the midst of this curse, I, this Old Testament story encourages me. In the midst of this curse, because we see that God is a God that rewards obedience and faith. 
No, not always in the tangible ways of health and wealth as the perversion of the prosperity gospel might proclaim today. His reward for obedience and faith may not be in health and wealth, but with an inheritance of righteousness and hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow. And we see that playing out even in the midst of this curse. And so God continues, Since the Amicalites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. And initially, this may seem unfair on God's part, right? Initially, we're like, come on, God. But the Lord continues, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. He's actually going to give them what they said. He would give them over and over and over as they complained against God in the desert. He said, in this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. So the people of God wonder almost 40 years because of unbelief. They were in the desert for a year and a half. God was going to take them into the land of promise. And they said, no, 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 we don't, no, we it's too, it's too, it's impossible. We can't trust that God, we, they forgot what he had done. They forget about what he's done. He can't do this. And so they wonder for 40 years because of unbelief, because they live by sight and feelings and not by faith in who God was and what he had already done. Literally, they are standing on the edge of their inheritance. They're standing on God's absolute best for them. And they refuse to receive it because their faith is in what their physical eyes can see and their hearts are filled with fear and unbelief. And then we see in the rest of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it records the rest of the ministry and Moses. I'm trying to get us to where we're going today in the book of Joshua. We're getting into the promised land. Uh, It records the ministry of Moses, and Moses actually, in one act, he blatantly disobeys and shows unbelief before the people of Israel. He he disobeys the Lord, and, and so the Lord bars Moses from even entering the promised land. And he establishes the sacrificial system to atone for sins. And we see Moses' final conquest against a few of the kings on the east side of the Jordan. And then Moses dies without entering the promised land. And Joshua assumes leadership of the people. In Joshua 1, we see these words. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, aid. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. You see, if you read the fullness of Joshua, the book of Joshua, and we're not going to get there today, uh, if you read it, you'll see that the secret of Joshua's success that we see play out throughout the book was his faith in the Word of God, in its commandments, and in its promises. His success was found in his faith in God's word. Joshua, Joshua himself is a wonderful example that God's people live by promises and not explanations. Joshua never once asked God to explain how he was going to do what he said he was going to do. He just trusted that he would do it because of what he had already done. 
And so for the second time we see spies are sent into the land. They're on the edge of their inheritance again, and here they are. Forty years later, and it's happening again, Joshua says, I'm going to send two spies, and they go into the land, into the city of Jericho. That's the nearest city to where they were going to cross. And they're saved this time. The spies are saved thanks to a a Gentile woman named Rahab. And they return with a positive report, completely different than before. Joshua 2 says, then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river. They forded the river Jordan and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Well, because of God. But this is a different response than we saw 40 years earlier when the people were barred from the holy land because of their unbelief and disobedience. And so we pick up here today, Joshua chapter 3 in verse 9. Joshua chapter 3 in verse 9, and he's preparing the people to cross into the holy land, to cross into the promised land. It is the holy land now. To cross into the land that's been promised. And that's where we're picking up today. This passage is going to be on the screen here. You can follow along if you'd like. Joshua said to the Israelites, Joshua 3 in verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. That phrase, the living God, that phrase used here only occurs three times, three other times in the entire Old Testament. And it's used to indicate the direct presence of an active God. Not a God that's far off, not a God that is unconcerned with the details, but a God that is present This is how you know that the living God is among you. Joshua says, listen, this is how you're going to know. Listen to what I'm about to say and what's about to happen because this is how you are going to know that God is with us and he's fighting for us and that he will certainly drive out before you all the ites, right? The Canaanites, the Hittites, all the ites, all the peoples of the land. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. The Ark of the Covenant was this box that was built and it, and it, and it housed the law of God. But this Ark of the Covenant was the place where um, the manifest presence of God would rest, would reside. The people weren't allowed to get too close to it or, or to look at it uh, too long or to even touch it. Only those who were set apart could do so because it's where the presence of Almighty God would reside. And so Joshua says, listen, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, will go before you. And we see that throughout the story. The presence of the Lord always goes before his people to assure their victory. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, he says, as soon as, as soon, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. This sounds familiar, right, from 40 years earlier? So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. The presence of the Lord, the Ark is going ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. This is an important important fact to not miss. God's word, don't miss it. During most of the year, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide. Remember the two spies that went across, they forded the river? Forded means they they found a way across. They found a a shallow area. They found a narrow passage. They, They found their way across the river. But now the river is flooded. During the spring flood season, 
the river overflowed its banks and became a mile wide, a hundred feet to a mile wide, and this is when God says, it's time to cross. Hmm. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, as soon as a step of faith in obedience occurred, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, about 20 miles upstream, at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. Months before this, months before this, two spies had crossed a river that may have been about 100 feet wide. Here, the river is flooded to a mile wide, and about two million people are going to cross it. Sometimes God, I think he just, sometimes God likes to orchestrate the details so that only he can get the glory. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Verse 17, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. They didn't stand on muddy ground? No, they stood on dry ground. The, the, the ground under the river was made dry while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Like I said, they estimate there were probably over 2 million people at that time that comprised the people of God. And the river stood still for all 2 million to cross on dry ground. This second miraculous river crossing, Joshua says, listen, what is about to happen as we cross the Jordan on dry ground is how that you are going to know that the living God is among you and how the living God is going to fight for you and that he's going to be faithful to his promise to you. And so again, God demonstrates his faithfulness to his people by taking them through a body of water on dry ground. And in Joshua 4, we see Joshua calling the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, to go into the middle of the river and to take up a large stone. And he says, bring these stones across. Bring them across the river with you, 12 of them. And in verse 19, we pick up on the 10th day of the first month. Remember that day, right? On the 10th day of the first month, details matter in the Word of God. Okay? On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. So they're on the other side. They are in the land of promise. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. They had trouble remembering what God had did at the Red Sea. So God says, listen, I want you to build a monument, a monument to what I've done, a monument to my miraculous salvation of you so that you can point future generations back to say, look what the Lord has done for his people. In verse 24, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. They set up the stones so that the people and the generations to come would remember what the Lord Almighty had done. 
I told you to remember the 10th day of the first month, right? On the 10th day of the first month. And we're going we're gonna to see that play out here in Joshua chapter 5. But I want to give you a run and start at it. Because on the 10th day of the first month is when God uh, charged his people to um, celebrate the Passover meal. And the original Passover meal was celebrated in Egypt when they were still in slavery. The night before they were led up out of Egypt, out of their bondage. And so they ate the Passover meal in Egypt on the 10th day of the first month. They ate the Passover meal. Then they were led out from Egypt, out from their slavery and bondage, and miraculously through the Red Sea on dry ground. And they celebrated the Passover meal one time in, in the wilderness at Mount Sinai before they were cursed for their disobedience. They celebrated it one time. But the original Passover, it was celebrated in Egypt. Then they were led out of Egypt and miraculously through the Red Sea on dry ground. And here we are 40 years later to the day. And they're miraculously crossing the Jordan River on dry ground and are about to celebrate the Passover meal as they're led into the land of promise not slavery, God's best for their life. God's fullest fulfillment of his promises. I don't know, that, that gets me excited. When I read that in God's word, that, I, mm. Passover mill, led out of bondage, through the Red Sea on dry ground, 40 years later, on the same day, led through the Jordan River on dry ground, celebrate the Passover mill as they're led in to the land of promise. Joshua chapter 5, here we go. They're in the promised land. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Do you see how God is working full circle in the lives of his people when they're faithful to him? That should encourage some of you today. The Egyptian army pursued them through the river, and he washed them out. They crossed the river, and the enemies don't want nothing to do with them because they're terrified of the God that these people serve. At that time, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Jebeth Haraloth. I don't think, I, do I need to explain circumcision? I don't think so. If Kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents at home. You're welcome. And so he circumcised the Israelites. And, and verse 4 says this, Now this is why he did so. All those who came up out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness, basically all the young men, all the men who had been born in the wilderness wandering, had not been circumcised. And so for 40 years, circumcision had not taken place on God's people. And circumcision, as we're going to read here, is the sign of God's covenant with his people that he gave to Abraham. He says, you will circumcise your males to set you apart, to show that you are set apart by me, for me. And during the cursed wandering time, uh, the men had not been circumcised. So God says, now that you're here, now that you're in the land of promise, circumcise the males among you. And, and verse 8 says this, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. And verse 9, listen to this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt 
from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal, it, it, that's significant because Gilel is the Hebrew word for Gilgal. It's like, it means roll away, to roll away. That's what it means. So that's why it was called that. Today, God said, I have rolled away the shame of Egypt from you. I'm faithful to my word. You've been carrying the shame of your past and your bondage. Today I've rolled it away as you've consecrated yourself to me through this act of circumcision. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, right? It matters. While camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped. God had been providing manna, this miraculous bread from heaven. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. God provided for them until the land could provide. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. That year they ate the produce of the promise. God's faithful to his word. And so if the giving of the Ten Commandments was the original covenant act in the, in the wandering, then the circumcision at Gilgal was the final consecrating act. It was God's message, hey, you belong to me. You are my people. And it was the people's response in partaking in the act to say, we belong to you. We will follow your ways, O oh God. And after that act of consecration through circumcision, the Lord tells Joshua today, He's rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them. Today, the covenant with Yahweh has been renewed through this act of consecration. And their shame from their past is no more. And you say, well, what does that look like for us today? Circumcision, that's not, a, that's not an act of anything for us in the Christian faith. Well, Moses understood this in Deuteronomy. As he's speaking to the people, he understood that the outward act of circumcision was really a spiritual reality that God wanted to do in the hearts of the people. And Moses said, circumcise your hearts. This is Deuteronomy 10 and verse 16. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. The Apostle Paul, after Jesus in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, said this, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code, such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So Israel celebrates God's gift of receiving the promised land with the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. We belong to you, God. Circumcision. And they celebrate with the festival of God's redemption from Egypt, from their past, by taking in the Passover meal. Now, the Passover, as we said, occurred on the 14th day of the first month at the time of the barley harvest. Look at this. Watch this. It is the presentation on this day of the first fruits of the barley, a grain that matures around this exact time and forms the most important staple for the inhabitants of Canaan. That's the land of promise. The grain of the barley matured around, around the time that the people entered the land. So I ask you, is it ironic is it ironic that all of this happened at this exact time, or is it evidence for us that God will work in the details of our lives 
and we can trust his timing. Ironic or evidence that we can trust him? I'm going to go with the latter. And so the people could never, they could never uh, recreate the original Passover as they were brought out of Egypt, but there was power in remembrance. That's why the stones were set up when they crossed the Jordan. There was power in remembrance. The way to always live remembering that they were a people delivered and remembering God's work of deliverance. And he calls us to do the same thing today. In the same way, we're to be in constant remembrance of our redemption. If you're in Christ, your redemption at Calvary and live lives in the shadow of the cross and in what he's done for you. Because the bottom line is this today, and it's on the screen. Here's the bottom line of, of this message of God leading his people through the wilderness to the promised land. It's that God's promises aren't predictions. They're facts for the faithful. Let me read it again. God's promises aren't predictions. They're facts for the faithful. That sounds cute, right? Alliteration makes this truth memorable. But this is a supreme reality, a solid rock that we can build our lives on. Amen? This is a solid rock that we can build our lives on. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. And I'm, gonna, I'm giving you the gamut of God's word this morning. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. He says no matter how many promises he's made, Christ is the guarantee that they are yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us, the so be it to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And this should encourage some of you today to stay faithful to the Lord and his ways. To remember what he's done is proof that he will be faithful to do what he says he will do. Yes, in your life and in the life of his people. But also this reality that his promises are facts for the faithful should challenge some of you. It should challenge you to examine your life and see if you're faithful, really faithful to the way of the Lord. To be honest about whether your heart is completely consecrated and loyal to him alone. Listen, listen friends, don't play games with yourself or with him today. He's not a God of playing games. But this is good news. This is good news that he keeps his promises. But it does not mean you're guaranteed to enjoy the fruit of his faithfulness. Only those we see in the story, we see it in the people of God. It's, it's there for us. It's there for our benefit. We see that only those who faithfully love and trust in his ways will enjoy the fruit of his faithfulness. Warren Wearsby it says this, it says this, Israel owned the land because of God's gracious covenant with Abraham. The land already belonged to Israel because of what God had done, okay? But their enjoyment of the land depended on their faithful obedience to God. Full salvation, the life that is full and overflowing in Christ Jesus is yours, but it's dependent on your trust and your faithful obedience to the way of Jesus. 
Pastor Michael Youssef said, when our children see us clinging to the promises of God, they'll grow up trusting in his goodness. If we fail as adults in praying for and praying with the next generation, then they'll become spiritually unsure. If we fail, if we fail to point the next generation back to the stones that were set up in our life and say, God is faithful, you can trust him, then they're going to become unsure whether that's true or not. But he is faithful to all of his promises. He's faithful to all of his promises. Are you faithful to him today? Do you fully trust him today? Are you consecrated? Are you surrendered to him today? The writer of Hebrews chapter 3 beginning in verse 7 says, So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the people of God where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they've not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We do see in Numbers 14, we read it at the beginning, we see in Numbers 14 that God did forgive his people. He did forgive them for their sin and their rebellion and their unbelief. But listen, they didn't receive all that God had for them. They missed out on his best. Because they didn't want to faithfully follow him, trust his ways. Hearing the word of the Lord does not make you righteous or a receiver of God's great promises, just hearing his word, only trusting in him and living in a faithful, loving relationship to the Lord and his ways does. So listen, friends. Listen, you do not know. We have this picture of Israel. We have this picture of Israel to teach us, to, to call us to a, to a different way of living. But, but listen, you don't know the full and overflowing life God's riches. Jesus said, in me is life to the fullest. Man, I want that kind of life. You don't know what you could be forfeiting today if you choose to do it your way. To simply go through the motions or live in disobedience and some measure of unbelief because you want to maintain control. Look what these people forfeited because they wouldn't Give their whole heart to him. The Old Testament story certainly shows us our deep need for a savior to lead us into true victory from our greatest enemies. Sin and the flesh and death and the devil. And we stand on this side of the cross. Jesus has become our greater Joshua and God's promises are indeed facts for those who are found in Christ Jesus. 
Listen, you, you've lived in life. You're living this life, right? Many of you have lived two and a half, three times as long as I've lived. You've understood that it's impossible to face such challenges in our lives without looking to Jesus. We must look to Jesus, who is our Joshua, and will always lead us if we're following him. Jesus has cleared the way. He has cleared the way to victory over all things. Having disarmed the principalities and the powers of this world, he made a public spectacle. This is Colossians. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so we stand on this side of history. And with the story of God's people entering the promised land, we're not surprised. We're not surprised. Many of us are not surprised by what God did for the people because of this side of history that we find ourselves on. So I ask you today, what is God promising about your future that you can be sure of this morning? What's he promising about your future that you can be sure of because he's been faithful in the past? Romans 8, 28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, if you love him, he's working for your good and all who have been called according to his purpose. As the worship team comes and we prepare to respond this morning, we must respond. Listen, he's faithful. And we must respond to God's word because the truth is we're never standing still in the Christian life. We're either moving forward in faith or we're moving backwards in unbelief. This Christian life is, is not something that we find ourselves stagnant in. We're, we're either taking a step in faith or we're taking a step back in unbelief. So we must respond today. We must respond to God's word, to his faithfulness, as we've seen him lead his people into the land of promise. Listen, he keeps his promises always, period. Even if it takes generations and generations. He's faithful to his word. So we must respond today. Some of you today simply need to respond with a heart of worship, a heart of rest and worship to the one who has been faithful to his promises and will continue to be faithful day by day. And some of you, I invite you, some of you need to make note, some of you need to make note of the spiritual stones in your life. The place of Gilgal where God has met you and he saved you and he's delivered you and he's set you apart. He's brought you into deeper life in him. Some of you need to make notes of those moments in your life. Can you remember the day? Can you remember the place? Can you remember the month, the year that he delivered you? That he brought you to this place of salvation miraculously by his grace that he brought you into deeper life in him. Write those down, write them in the the back leaf of your Bible so that when you begin to doubt, you can point to that day and say, no, I remember what God did. And he will be faithful to do what he says that he will do. Write them down to remember what he's done so that you can point your children and your grandchildren and anyone you mentor back to his faithfulness. Because unless we teach the next generation the truth about the Lord, they'll turn away and follow the ways of the world, just as the people of God did in the story.
Listen, the cross, the stone that was rolled away, the empty tomb, they declare what Jesus has done on our behalf. Live in the shadow of the cross. And when you encounter trouble and heartache and impossible circumstances, remember he is the same God and worship him. And some of you, some of you don't have a moment in which you can look back and point to as the moment when God saved you or delivered you or sanctified you. You can't remember a moment when he brought you out of bondage and led you into the promised land of a life set apart for him. And you're dealing with a lot of shame from your past. Then I ask you today to humble yourself and honestly identify who or what you've been trusting in for salvation, for new life, for victory. Perhaps you've been trusting in yourself or your best behavior or your church attendance or your family of origin. And Jesus says, trust in me. Warren Wearsby writes, if you want to claim your inheritance in Christ, believe the word of faith and get your feet wet. Step out in a walk of faith and God will open the way for you. Surrender yourself to the Lord and die to the old life. And he will bring you into the land and give you days of heaven upon the earth. Today is the day. Today is the day. The writer of Hebrews says, today is the day. Listen, friends, don't forfeit his best for your life on the altar of self and unbelief. I implore you, surrender your will completely to him today. Today is the day to respond, to step in faith by God's grace and power into a sanctified life. That just means a life devoted to God and bringing glory to him in all your ways. It's a life that God's spirit will pour into your life day by day as you walk with him. It's an invitation to surrender to him, to yield yourself, to consecrate yourself completely to him so that you can experience the fullness of life in Jesus. Remember, his promises aren't predictions, they're facts for the faithful. God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. So my question is, are you living in Christ Jesus today? There's nothing left for you to do. It's all about what he's already done. Nothing you actually can do today, but surrender your life to him and trust him by faith that he will be all that he says he will be in your life. To yield yourself to him today. To yield yourself to him and enter into his promise of victory and rest and peace. Man, do y'all want peace today? Do you need victory? in some area of your life? Because real victory and rest and peace are only found in living by faith as we follow Jesus in the way. Would you stand with me to pray this morning? Would you stand as we prepare to respond? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this picture in the Old Testament, this story of your people. We thank you, God, for the truth today that your promises are facts for those who are faithful to you and your ways. Lord, I pray if there be anyone here today, anyone tuning in online, God, that they don't have a moment they can look back to, that they don't have a moment, a, a, a stone set up to memorialize when you saved them, when you delivered them, or when you sanctified them, when they were consecrated to you and said, here's my whole life, God. 
Here it is before you. I want all the fullness of life that is found in Jesus. I'm tired of living my way, doing it my way, thinking that what I see is all that there is. God, I want to experience the fullness of your promise. I want to experience a land flowing, a life flowing with milk and honey, an inheritance of righteousness and hope. If there are those today, God, who want to say yes to that, who want to say, God, I I want to make today, July 10th, 2022, the day uh, I say, yes, Lord, I receive what you've done. I know that I can't do anything, but I recognize that I need a Savior, and I place my faith completely in you. And today, July 10th, 2022, is the day that I'm putting a stone, I'm putting a stone on the ground and saying, this is the day that the Lord has saved me from my past. He's delivered me. He's he's removed the reproach of my Egypt and my shame. And some of you today need to surrender your whole life, your whole will. You need to consecrate yourselves to him today and say, I'm setting a stone up to say, Lord, Lord, I surrender. I surrender my life to you today. I surrender my everything. I want to live in the fullness of your promises for your people. I invite you, call out to him today. Repent of your sin, turn from your past, and fix your eyes on him, for he is faithful to his promises. And he will remain faithful to the end. Thank you, God, for what you've done on our behalf. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.